going to start by looking at dreams, something that Joseph is sort of quite well known for. Before we start, I thought I'd share with you one of my dreams, a dream I had the other night. Don't get nervous, it's okay. In this dream, I was in heaven, as all good Christian dreams should be, obviously. I was in heaven, and there was a stand, I was standing at the start of a really long street, and right down the middle of this street was a table, and there was a big feast going on, and people were eating. And in the dream, I was being led down the, down the side of this table by an angel to find my seat. And as I walked down past all these tables and rows and rows of people, I saw people I recognized. Rosie was there. Um, Chris, you were there. Frank, you were there. You were sat talking to Moses. And we saw famous people in the Bible as well. And I was taken, I was sat down, and I said hello to the people either side. And the guy on my right started talking and talking and talking. And he went on and on and on for what seemed like eternity. It's heaven, so it, it is eternity. But he was going on, and I was thinking, I can't get away from this guy. And I was trying to find out what was going on and what other people were doing. I was trying to hear what Frank was saying to Moses. And I was, I was trying to, and he just kept talking. Every time I turned away, he'd grab my arm. And in the end, I thought, what am I going to do? So I grabbed an angel that was going past. And I said, excuse me, is this heaven? And they said, well, yeah, of course it is. So well, it's just, I've got this guy next to me, and is it possible I could move seat because it's, it's getting a bit awkward? And then she said, no, I'm sorry, Steve. It's assigned seating. And depending on how you lived your life depends who you have to sit next to. So you've got to sit next to this guy. So well, hang, hang on a second. I said, I did the best I could, and I get this guy. I know Frank from my church, right? <laughs> now, he was a good guy, but he admits he did something wrong. I get this guy, and he gets Moses. They said, oi, how we choose to punish Moses is none of your business. <laughs> to make you feel better, Frank, Moses got a good deal, because when I was preparing, he was going to be sat next to Annie, but she's not here this morning. <laughs> so then it was Neil, so you, you were even third place for Moses, I'm afraid, Frank. Absolutely. But those aren't the sort of dreams we're talking about today. We're not talking about dreams that you have when you've had too much cheese or wine before you go to bed. We're talking about those dreams that God lays on our heart, those plans and purposes that God shares and reveals to us about our life and what God has planned for us. And we, we said we're going to be looking at Joseph. And Joseph, we're going to start at Genesis 37, which we're going to read together in a moment. And we've put there, God at work in the midst of a dysfunctional family. And as we look at Joseph's life, you're going to see that Joseph was in, very much in the midst of a difficult situation and kind of a bit of a crazy family. And that family, that was the setting for Joseph's life. That was the scene, that was the backdrop to his life. Those were his circumstances and situations. And so we want to look at how God outworks those dreams, even in those difficult life circumstances. For Joseph, as we go through the story, you'll see this may be the picture that Joseph sort of had in his mind. To the right is the dreams of what God's told him, and that's where he wants to go. He wants to fulfill the plans and purposes that God has for his life. But to the left is the path he seems to be going on. Life going a bit pear-shaped, life a bit disastrous, and somehow it seemed everything that happens to Joseph in Genesis 37 seemed to Joseph that it was taking him further away from the dreams that God had for him. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn, let's read Genesis 37 together. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. 
This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending flocks with his brothers, the sons of Belar and Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him an ornate robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing their flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. And when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I am looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went with his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we will see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Do not shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So Joseph came to his brothers and they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed, so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. You can see this slide kind of illustrates now what's going on in this chapter. Joseph has these dreams and he wants to head towards those dreams. But life seems to be going to the clouds and the thunder and the lightning and the rain. And his family, well, if there was ever a family set up for heartache, pain, disaster and upset... This really was it. Joseph was Abraham's great-grandson. It was Abraham, Isaac, 
Jacob and Joseph. And Jacob starts the family, and the family's already a bit messed up before Joseph even arrives on the scene and starts working his magic of harmony and love. See, Jacob fell in love with Rachel and wanted to marry Rachel, but got tricked into marrying the sister Leah. After some time, he earns a right to actually marry Rachel. So he's now one man married to two sisters. What could possibly go wrong with that, eh? Although, he only had one mother-in-law, so it can't all be bad, can it? We're not recording this, are we? Because my mother-in-law will listen to that. What a lucky man. Um, but also, so he's married to two sisters, which could be a bit awkward, especially when one of the sisters knows that he didn't really want her, he wanted Rachel. And then when children come along, it gets even more complicated. He has children with Leah, Rachel's sister. He eventually has children with Rachel. But also, for good measure, he has sons with Rachel's maidservant and also his other wife, Leah's maidservant. So now he's married to two wives, children from the two sisters and the maidservants. Boys all competing to be number one, take over the family business. It's not the sort of family party you'd want to go to, is it? We've all been to parties that's a bit awkward. And so Joseph is born into this setting. This is his arena. This is where he's going to live his life. And ultimately, this is where God's going to have to get him from in order to fulfill his dreams. And he's not an easy character, Joseph, is he? When you read this chapter, you're not filled with admiration for Joseph like some of our other Bible heroes. It's sort of in two halves, really. The first half of the chapter is Joseph doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, and upsetting everybody. And the second half of the chapter is, well, kind of him getting his just desserts, really. You, can, you sort of have a bit of sympathy with his brothers as well. Joseph, it tells us, was 17 years old. Anybody who lives with teenagers will know exactly what the Bible's saying there. Sometimes he must have been a bit of a stroppy, arrogant teenager, um, wanting everyone to like him, um, saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. But the truth is that God had given him a gift, the ability to dream dreams and be able to interpret them. But the first part of that chapter gives us an idea as to what Joseph would have been like. We see some mistakes that he makes, which to us seems so obvious reading the story as a whole. The first one, it tells us that when he went looking after the sheep with his brothers, he came back and basically told tales on him to dad. Now maybe, maybe the brothers had been doing some things they shouldn't have done, but maybe Joseph was just trying to curry a bit of favor with his father. If anyone's got children, I know if my, I've got two boys, if one boy comes to tell on the other one, he may have just knocked a glass of water over, but by the time the one who's telling me has exaggerated it, he could have killed the family puppy. It's got that much. And he said this, and I did this, and he did this. And I can sort of see Joseph doing that to try and ensure his position of number one with his father and being his father's favorite. The second mistake is shared between father and son, really. Jacob loves Joseph more than his other children. And so in order to let Joseph know this, he has an ornate robe made for him. Now, it's the robe we all know about Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat and the colors on it and the, all that Hollywood would tell us about. But a significant fact, almost, uh, well, extremely likely to be true in those days, is that that robe would have had long sleeves. Long sleeves don't mean a lot to us, but in those days, if you wore a long sleeve robe, it would signify that you were above and didn't have to do manual labor. Now, in a farming family amongst brothers who all had to go and look after the sheep and muck in, one brother waltzing in with his robes, showing them that he's got long sleeves, is basically saying, 
I'm more important than you. Oh, and guess what? Dad thinks so too. That's what he was saying. No wonder his brothers said, it says the brothers hated him all the more. And then the third and fourth mistakes were because Joseph couldn't keep his mouth shut. He has a dream. Now, we already can tell from the way Joe's behaving, he wants to be important. He wants to wear the robe. He wants to be his father's favorite. And so when he has a dream from God that tells him that he is going to be a ruler, a leader, Joseph can't wait to tell his brothers. It's almost like saying, I think I'm more important than you. My dad's given me this robe that says he thinks, and now even God thinks I'm more important than you. How great is that? And surprisingly, his brothers weren't on the same page, really. And the Bible tells us they hated him even more. And as if doing it once wasn't bad enough, Joseph goes and does it again and says, guess what? I've got another dream. And when we, when we read the story, you think, Joseph, what's wrong with you? Why on earth? You've made the mistake once. Why would you go and tell them about the dream again? Why were you so desperate? Well, I think Joseph told them the dreams because Joseph was desperate for those dreams to come true. We can see he was desperate for people to like him. He was desperate to be seen as important. And so somehow in Joseph's mind, if I can tell them, if they realize how important I am, then maybe I'll start to get the respect and the love that I feel that I deserve. Joseph wants to be important. And he must have thought, God, when is this dream going to happen? If I tell them, all of a sudden, is it going to be a lightning bolt and are they all going to bow down to me? How is it going to happen? But God, please... Why hasn't it happened? He must have been desperate for it to happen. And he must have wondered what the holdup was, what the weight was. R.T. Kendall, in a book talking about dreams, writes this. He said, When God shows us that he will use us, there is always almost a certain appeal to our own self-esteem. God doesn't compel us against our will. He makes us willing to go. The way he makes us willing is by motivating us. He offers us something we are going to like. God does this as a kindness to accommodate our weakness. But here is the irony. Though God speaks to us at our own level in order to motivate us, that very self-esteem to which he appeals needs radical surgery before, before he can, in the end, actually use us. What it's saying is, God understands how you tick. God understood how Joseph ticked. God had designed him, God had created him, and God had created the plans and purposes for him to do. Of course, they're going to be a match. God's got a role for Joseph as a leader, as a ruler, and in Joseph, we already see that Joseph wants to be in charge. But you see, Joseph's idea of a leader and God's idea of a leader, there's a bit of a mismatch there. God knows that Joseph wants to be a leader. He knows what Joseph wants. He knows the plans he's got for them, and he knows that Joseph is waiting. But God also knows that Joseph is not ready to be the leader that God wants him to be. Joseph is only ready to be the leader that he wants to be. R.T. Kendall goes on to give an illustration. And he said there was a man that was, had a big block of black rock. And this man tells everybody he's going to do a sculpture of a horse. This sculpture is going to be fantastic. And someone says to him, well, where's your plans? Where's your drawing? Where's your design? What's it going to look like? How are you going to know what to do? And the man said, it's simple. I don't need plans. All I need to do is chip away everything that doesn't look like a horse. And I'll be left with a horse. And you know, when God gives us a dream, God may have laid a dream on your heart last week, last year, 10 years ago. 
And when God gives us a dream or a vision or something in our heart of his plans and purposes, we're desperate for those things to happen, aren't we? We get the victory and we're ready, we're ready to go. But what we don't realise is that that's just the starting point, not the finish point. And there's a journey and there's a process of God chipping away the things that don't look like the gift, the person that he wants us to be at the, in, in order for those dreams to be fulfilled. Joseph wasn't ready to be the leader and God had to spend some time shaping him. And so how does God go about shaping Joseph? Well, I said it was almost like two halves this chapter. The first half, we're hearing about Joseph and all the things he does wrong. The second half, I said, looks a bit like God, uh, Joseph getting what he deserves. But actually, the second half really is the start of God beginning to shape him and sculpt him into the leader he wants to be. In verse 12, Jacob goes to Joseph and says, As you know, your brothers are gazing, grazing their flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Joseph says, very well. The message version puts it that Joseph says, I'm ready. Now, to me, this is the only thing that I think we can give Joseph credit for in this entire chapter. His record hasn't been good yet, but his dad asked him to do something, and Joseph says, okay, I'm ready to go. Now, if it were me, I'd have said, Dad, they hate me. Please don't send me to talk to them. They don't like me. They hate me. It was also about Dothan, uh, from where he was to Dothan is about 65 miles of very, very hilly, hot, dusty terrain. So it would have been a long, hard journey to go and see people that didn't really like him in the first place. But Joseph, when his father asks, says, I'm ready. Okay. And so off Joseph sets. He was prepared to go and do something, and he was prepared to go and start the journey. The journey he goes on isn't the one that he plans, but he is prepared to go. But while he's still a long way off, his brothers see him coming, and by the time he gets to near them, they've already planned that they want to kill him or they want to do him some harm. Reuben actually talks them out of killing him, but they, when he gets there, they take the robe off him. They take away the robe that said that he was more important. They're taking away what he saw as being his authority. They take away his robe, and they stick him in a hole. The Bible says a cistern. I don't know if you can see that. Really well. This is a cistern that's still there to this day, not the same one. But it's basically here. It's just a hole in the ground with a rock next to it. And so it wouldn't have been an open pit. It would have been a small, almost like a manhole, with a shaft straight down that would open out into some sort of cavern. And then they'd roll the stone back over it to stop any water evaporating. They used to use it as a dam to store water. And so Joseph finds himself in a dark hole, locked away, stripped of his robes, knowing that his brothers hate him. In chapter 42, a bit later on, it tells us that Joseph was pleading for his life. This journey to Joseph, it would have seemed like his life has taken another turn for the worse, that things are going from bad to worse, things are going terribly wrong. But actually, this was the start of Joseph's journey to Egypt and to fulfilling the plans and the dreams that God had for him. It was the start of the journey of preparation and God starting to shape him into the person he wanted to be. You see, for Joseph, it was all about him. His life up until then, it was about him. He wanted everyone to like him. He wanted 
the power. He wanted to be important. He wanted Father to like him best. He had no thoughts for anyone else's feelings, no compassion, and he wanted to be the one who made all the decisions to be the leader. And from reading the Bible, we know that that is the exact opposite from the type of leaders that God wants. God wants leaders that are humble, that show compassion, that show understanding, that see themselves as servants. And Joseph was the opposite end of the scale. God needed to, be shape, to shape him. And all of a sudden, Joseph finds himself not a leader, not important, but on his own in a dark hole. He wasn't even valued as a person at that point. They sold him like a possession. He was in need of compassion and understanding from others. The decision of life and death wasn't even in his own hands. He had nothing. He was worth nothing. And he was unable to make any decisions about his own life. I just wonder, far into the future, when Joseph became that leader and he was dealing with people and making decisions, decisions that needed mercy or compassion, dealing with people that could do nothing for themselves and needed help, did Joseph make good and righteous decisions because of some of the things, the lessons he learned in that hole? That the circumstances of life brought him here and God used those to shape him so that he could be the leader that God wanted him to be. Although for Joseph, when he was in that hole, it seemed like his life was heading down that road to the left, to the thunder and the lightning, God actually starts to use that and bring that back to shape him for his dreams. So Joseph stuck down that hole. I wonder what Joseph thought at that time on his own. I wonder, did doubt start to creep in? Did Joseph start to think, my life has gone so far from what I thought it would be. Did God really give me those dreams? Or was it just wishful thinking? Was it something I wanted so much that somehow I made it into a dream, made it into something it wasn't? Or did Joseph blame others? Did Joseph say, I'm in this hole, I'm not going to be able to fulfill those dreams because of what other people have done to me. Because of the circumstances and situations of my life, it's taken me down a different route from where God wants me to be. Maybe Joseph did a bit of soul searching and realised that he was in that hole of, because of some of the mistakes he'd made. And at that point, did he think, you know what? Maybe I've missed it. Maybe the plan God had for me by the life choices, the decisions I've made, the things I've said and done, I've missed it. Or maybe he even thought in the darkness of that hole, even God has forgotten me. We don't know exactly what he thought, but you know, we have the benefit of reading the full story, don't we? We know what happens in the end. We know that Joseph gets out the hole and we know that Joseph goes on to be the ruler that God wanted him to be. So if you or I were stood at the side of that hole and we heard Joseph mumbling those things, knowing the full picture, knowing the story, I wonder what we'd say. I hope it would be something like this. Joseph, the dreams that God gave you, no one or nothing can take away from you. You've not missed it, Joseph, and God has not forgotten you. The dreams that God gave you, no one 
no circumstance or situation can take away. You haven't missed it, Joseph, and God has not forgotten you. And so I wonder, we've looked at Joseph's dreams, I wonder what dreams, if we could see the think bubbles above our heads as we look around the room, what dreams we've all got in our hearts and our mind that God gave us. For some of us, it might be that it's so far away that those dreams are almost in a dusty shelf in the corner at the back of our mind, and they're sort of long forgotten. When we do look at them, we actually think, well, did we just imagine it? Did God really say that? Is that really what God has got planned for me? Or do we, like Joseph, say that other people, life and circumstances and situations have taken us away from it? Whatever do we think, do we ever think, well, maybe I've missed it. Maybe God had one shot for me and somehow by the things I've said and done and the way I've behaved, somehow I've missed it and it's passed me by. Do we even dare to think that God has forgotten us? You know, two things that I like about the story of Joseph is one that Joseph really at the start of the story is a bit of a screw up, isn't he? He makes mistakes, he says the wrong thing, he's a bit arrogant, he does all the daft things that we know he shouldn't do. But the great thing about it is God still chose him. Doesn't that fill you with hope? That even though Joseph made such a mess of things, God still chose him and God stood by him even when he kept making the mistakes. God still stood by him. And also the thing I like about Joseph is that he was prepared to go and he was prepared to start the journey. He actually didn't really know where that journey was going to take him but he was prepared to take a step. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You know, sometimes when we're thinking about those dreams, we need to be prepared to take a step, even if that step isn't going exactly to the final destination, even sometimes when we head off in the wrong direction, maybe we need to take a step to allow God to guide those steps and bring us full circle back to the plans he has for us once he's shaped us. The circumstances and situations of our life, sometimes they can be like that road to the left. Sometimes we know what God said to us, but because of life and the difficulties and the people that we have to deal with and the situations that we face, sometimes we feel that life is taking us away from our dreams. But we need to understand the Bible says that all things work for the good for those who are chosen by him. The very things and circumstances and situations that you face could be what God is using to shape you and prepare you to be the person and fulfill the dreams that he wants you to be. As I've read Joseph the last, over the last few weeks, I think what the message really that God gave me as I've read this and prepared this is that I need, when it comes to thinking of the dreams that God gave me, I need to live with the assurance and the question of when and not if. Because if I live with that question of if, I'm actually denying what God said. I'm actually saying that God isn't big enough to take me from where I am now to where he wants to be. God wants us to live with that image of when. When God is going to fulfill the plans and purposes he has for us. Recognising that the situations and circumstances I face today, are God, God can use them to shape me and bring me to his plans and purpose. And we need to understand that the dreams that God has given you, no one can take away. You haven't already missed it. And God really hasn't forgotten you. Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you that you have chosen us. I thank you that you've chosen me. I thank you that you've chosen each and every one of us here this morning. I thank you that the plans that you have given, those callings that you've given us, the Bible says, are without repentance. Father, you never take them back, but you want us to fulfill the plans and purposes that you have for our lives. Father, if this this morning, if we're sat here and it feels like we're in that hole, it feels like we've missed it or we've made mistakes or other people have taken us further away from you. Father God, I pray that this morning, as we've already said, that this morning would be a line in the sand when we would choose to stop saying if, but we would look for the when. Father God, I pray that each and every one of us, as we go out this week, as we live our lives, we will do it with an assurance that we are moving closer to the plans and purposes that you have got for us, that we just need to be prepared to say, I'm ready, I'll go. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thanks, Susie.